In this episode, I interview author and high-performance coach Ryan Muncy. We discuss high-performance mindset, defining and aligning your values, proper context to your feelings, and addressing obstacles in your life. And the key aspect that is across any vertical when it comes to high performance, whether it's fitness, business, or your personal life. So listen, take notes, and enjoy. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Rest and Recovery Podcast. Today's guest is Ryan Muncy, author of F Your Feelings, creator and host of the Better Human Project podcast, which is pursuing what it means to operate at a high level of performance in wellness and in personal development space. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. It's my pleasure, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Well, um, you know, again, thanks for joining. Uh, look forward to digging into the book a little bit and kind of the key tenets um, around the book. Uh, but before we dig into that, just kind of wanted to get a little feel for your background, um, your personal evolution to this point with uh, the two things I mentioned with the Better Human Project and your recent book. Yeah, so I'll go back uh, to college and I'll try to speed through the bio as quickly as possible so it's not boring for folks. But if there's anything you want to stop and, and dig into, you know, I'll let you, you know, take the lead on that. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up uh, in Southwest Virginia, Roanoke, um, and I played sports my whole life until I got to college. I wasn't good enough to play uh, in school. I, I went to Clemson University, and, you know, if you follow college football, you know that they're pretty high level. So I wasn't quite that good of an athlete, but my best friend from home was a year younger than me. And he was actually on the track team at Clemson and he was a very successful high jumper. Um, he actually won the ACC's seven out of eight times. Um, you know, that's counting indoor and outdoor seasons. So two seasons a year. So I was actually able to kind of tag along with him at uh, track practice. And that's where I really learned performance training you know, I learned sprint technique from the coaches who were, you know, really teaching guys that actually sprinted for Team USA in the Olympics. Um, you know, and I just got to soak it all up. And um, you know, I eventually changed majors. I wanted to do exercise physiology, but Clemson didn't have that. The closest I could get was food science and human nutrition, which is a dietetics degree. If I did the internship after school, I would have been a registered dietitian. Um, I did not want to pursue that route. I didn't want to work in a clinical setting. I also disagreed with everything that we were taught in school. Um, <laughs> you know, in that curriculum, you have you have the science and then you have the nutrition classes and what you learn in the nutrition classes, you know, th those curriculums are paid for and funded by big food, big pharma. And you're right. taught, you know, all things, uh, all things fit and there are no bad foods. And, you know, you're, you're taught things that just don't mesh with the science that you took. You know, I, I took, you name the science. I took it biochem, you know, uh, organic, regular chem, biology, anatomy, physiology, all that stuff. So, I mean, I, I know how the body works and, uh, it just didn't match with the science. And so yeah. you know, I didn't want to pay uh, to be a dietitian and then to have to spend the rest of my career protecting that board certification and, you know, basically being a puppet and, and saying what they wanted me to say so that I could keep that um, label. And uh, okay. So from there, when I graduated, I had the opportunity to move to New York and, and do some work as a fitness model. Uh, I did that. 
Um, it was not what I expected it to be. So that didn't last very long, uh, less than a year, moved back to Roanoke and um, worked as a personal trainer at a big box facility for uh, a few years until I'd had enough and said, I can do this better on my own. 2012, I opened my own performance training facility called House of Strength. Uh, so, you know, strength coach, writing for places like uh, Men's Fitness, Men's Health, um, you know, some online magazines and websites that got a lot of traffic, um, you know, working with um, athletes at the high school, college uh, level, and then also general population adults. Um, sold that in 2000, uh, the end of 2015, going into 2016. And, you know, I really wanted to be able to reach a wider audience. But, you know, as we were kind of talking about uh, before we hit record, I kind of reached a point where I was no longer interested in the X's and O's and the programming. And, you know, I just didn't care how many burpees an adult needed to do on Tuesday to correct what they did on Saturday uh, I was more interested in the conversation of why are your actions on Friday night and Saturday night not aligned with the goals that you have when you come to me? Um, right. you know, so I really wanted to be able to explore those questions. And, and you know, that was really the um, kind of the, the genesis of, of the foray into trying to figure out human performance from the psychological standpoint. You know, I felt like I had an understanding of the physiological standpoint. And so, you know, all of that kind of culminated um, two years later in the book, you know, as you said, um, F your feelings, I'm going to take your lead and assume uh, not to cuss. So I'm going to do my best. If, yeah. I, if, if one slips, I apologize. Yeah, um, that's all right. We're all adults, but you know. But I spent the next two years, you know, um, <clears throat> interviewing uh, Olympic athletes and, and um, you know, special forces operators and researchers, cognitive behavioralists, and, and really trying to put those pieces together. And, and the book is, you know, my attempt to understand, you know, what's going on between our ears. Why do we feel uh, the way we feel? Why do those feelings drive our decisions? You know, why is it so tough to be a human sometimes? And, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's been an incredible ride since the book came out. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't really know, you know, at this point, I, I don't remember what my expectations are, but the, the success of the book and the reach has surpassed my expectations. And it's been a really fun journey to, you know, hear all the success stories and be able to interact with all the people who have, you know, read the book and, and come back and say, you know, wow, this has helped me tremendously. And you know, I've got dads that love it and, and they're buying it for their kids or, you know, buying it for their wives and, you know, uh, military and law enforcement personnel are using it and, and they're teaching others with it. And it's just been a really cool experience. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a, it's a great story. It's, it's an interesting anecdote for me is the evolution of a person, kind of what you you're saying and observe, observing people in high performance states. You know, you mentioned the time at Clemson, your friend, and then the people around him. And then as you evolved uh, in other pursuits with, um, engaging with people at that same level. Um, did you see kind of any consistent themes um, when you look at those that are high performance or those that are not there yet? Uh, Cause we, we mentioned mindset. So is there, yeah. what's the gap? I think, you know, the simplest way to, to talk about it is the ability to flip a switch. And that can come in a lot of different um uh, tangible examples, right? But at the end of the day, 
you know, I, I work with people who are in real estate. I work with a client right now who's in bodybuilding. I work with, you know, some folks that are in the outdoor industry. And, you know, to, to what we were discussing before we hit record, it doesn't matter what your pursuit. It doesn't matter if you're in any of those verticals or if you're in track and field or if you're in, you know, uh, business as an entrepreneur. The people who I have seen be successful are the people who simply refuse to uh, allow obstacles to stand in their way. They're people who do whatever it takes to get it done. And, and I know that's a very trite, uh, very cliche kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I always tell people you, you can have excuses or you can have results. You can't have both. And, you know, so many people, um, to use your words, that, that aren't there yet, um, find ways of letting themselves off the hook. They rationalize things. Uh, they make decisions based on how they feel in any given moment, right? And, and that's the, right. the reason for the title of the book. So there's a cognitive uh, neuroscientist named Antonio Damasio, and this is in the book, so I won't go into it too much, but you know, he figured out that about 95% of our decisions are made based on how we feel in any given moment. And, you know, armed with that knowledge, it's pretty easy to see why so many people struggle to get from A to Z. You know, the, the larger our goal, the more audacious our goal, the longer it's going to take us to get there. And the more we expand that timeline required to get somewhere, the more micro decisions we have to make along the way, the more opportunities there are for feelings to jump up and say, you know, dude, I don't feel like getting up at 4 a.m. to go to my workout. I don't feel like eating another salad. I don't feel like meal prepping. You know, I don't feel like making these calls that I have to make for my business. Um, you know, maybe your business is, is getting hit hard right now and you don't feel like filling out that small business application, um, uh, you know, for, for, you know, the bailout or whatever's going on. You know, the people who are successful are the people who do the things required um, to get the results that they're looking for, regardless of how they feel. Uh, and, and so when I say flipping the switch, that's, that's really what I'm talking about is can you go to that place and do what you know is required, regardless of how you feel in that moment? Yeah, no, that's a key element. I mean, I can relate you know, I, I do some endurance sports and there's plenty of times where that morning alarm goes off and I want to hit snooze. I feel tired, but there's times where I will hit it and then the level of guilt and shame <laughs> internally. But then there's also the other side when I realize I, I push through that and then I go out and have a good run. Then it's like, you know, it's a building block towards uh, positive momentum. Well, you're going to have a building block or, or you're, you're when that alarm goes off, you're going to initiate a cycle one way or the other. Right. And, and if you, if you hit snooze or if you turn it off and you stay in bed, the whole rest of your day, like you said, we, we start to assign guilt or uh, shame or all those negative feelings. And then we start to you know tell ourselves, Oh, I'm worthless. And Oh, I didn't do this. And I don't do what I'm supposed to do. And then that spirals. You know, the next time you have a decision later on in that day, maybe it's a phone call you're supposed to make. And you're like, oh, I can just do that tomorrow. All of that snowballs. And like you said, if you decide to get up and you go 
do the thing, whatever it is, whether it's a run or just getting up at the right time. And, you know, like we're talking now during quarantine, you know, so many folks are, are using this as an excuse to, you know, not shower or, you know, not put on their clothes, you know, stay in your pajamas. And, you know, yeah. that that builds and, and that perpetuates. Um, so one of the other things we talk about in the book is that feelings are mental experiences of physiological states. And so physiological state is just your body state. So essentially what's going on from your neck down can impact what's going on between your ears. And, you know, if we're lethargic and we're laying around and we're not doing anything, right, we start to, um, you know, we start to cultivate that kind of cloudy, you know, standing water, kind of murky, uh, you know, physiology, couple that with, you know, uh, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I didn't do that. It's it's a very dangerous kind of storm that, that creates that negative spiral, and it's very hard to break. Um, you know, and that's why, you know, to your point, every single morning when that alarm goes off, you're going to start one of those cycles, either positive or negative, and yeah. you, you kind of have one moment to decide how that's going to go. And, you know, one of the little tricks that I like to do, you know, to, to kind of um, capitalize on that, you know, understanding the importance of that singular moment um, is simply putting my alarm out of reach. Like I cannot touch my alarm from laying in bed. I actually have to physically get out of bed and go turn it off. And that significantly reduces the odds of hitting snooze or turning it off and going and getting back into bed. Yeah, I'm not gonna say I've never done that, but it significantly <laughs> reduces it. Yeah, yeah, you, it's kind of hard to kind of snuggle back into bed there and, and get in that warm spot again. And when, when once you're up, it's just, all right, momentum, right? It's kind of inertia. Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned mindset. So the word perspective or context seems to kind of come to mind for me on how you view things. Um, how much of that is, you know, related to, the goal you're setting for yourself or the, the attempt to get there. So I'm not sure that this is exactly the, the answer, or I'm not sure this is a question. I'm not sure I'm answering your question exactly, but when you say context and you also brought up goal, um, you know, I, I always talk to folks about goal and context. And you know, as a society, we have, um, we have a tendency to be very binary. We want blanket statements. You know, we want people to say, you know, this food is good or this food is bad. Um, this exercise is great or this exercise is terrible. You should never do this exercise. Yeah. And if you just scroll through, you know, Google and, and look at headlines, or if you scroll through social media, those types of headlines are what get clicks and, and eyeballs. Uh, because, you know, our attention spans are short and we have more and more things fighting for our attention. So it's very easy. You know, our, our, our minds are actually designed to kind of compartmentalize and stereotype uh, because it's a um, it's an exercise in economy and efficiency. You know, if if you meet me, you want the, the 30 second synopsis of who I am. But that's far from you know, the, the whole or the real me, but it right. gives you a quick idea of be able to, to be able to say like, okay, that's who this person is. And for any, anybody that you might come across. Right. And so 
a, a lot of these headlines and, and marketers and, and things like that understand psychology and sociology and they capitalize on that. Um, but beyond that, you know, back to, I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but hey. the point, the point is we like to be, we have a propensity to be very binary, black and white, yes or no. Um, and I, I get tons of questions, you know, uh, is cold exposure good? Uh, should I do endurance training? Um, you know, pick your thing. Is keto good? Right. Yeah. All these questions. And I always come back to, well, it depends. Right. right. And, and it depends on the two words you use, goal and context. Right. What are you trying to mm -hmm. accomplish? Um, and, and what's the context in which, you know, we're having this conversation? And so, you know, let's use keto as an example. Um, you might come to me and say, or, or the, the average question is, you know, is keto good? Well, I don't know. Like it's an effective tool, but I don't know if it's right for you and your goals and your situation right now. So right. now let's look at, look at two different scenarios where, you know, I might be trying to compete in the CrossFit games. And if that's the case, keto is a terrible way for me to eat. But if you are, you know, an endurance athlete and, you know, you're never, um, you're never going over a certain exertion level. Everything that you're doing is basically in that aerobic zone and you're always under a heart rate of say 140. Keto might be an amazing fuel source for you and it might be a great way to eat. Right. So, so that's where, you know, we have to get away from. So even to say we have to get away from this sort of binary. So the way I try to say it is be less binary, right. Um, you know, and start to account for goal and context in all of these conversations. The problem is it makes the conversations much more lengthy and it doesn't give people that immediate yes or no answer that they're looking for. Um, yeah. It puts responsibility and accountability back in everybody's court. And, and, you know, a lot of people are just trying to, you know, shirk those things these days. Yeah. You hit on a great point that, you know, I've talked about before. Yeah. It's definitely more of a degrees discussion and, and many things that we do and, and the why behind it, the context, like you said, you know, if your goal, you're t given the endurance person versus the CrossFit, you've got a completely different chemistry activity going on. Or if you're just the person who's trying to get well from a ground zero to improve on their, their total wellness, you know, it might be a good tool keto for a short term, but is that a lifestyle? Right. Um, and then the other, the other thought I had was, um, I often say it'll be kind of cross currents of life because there's so many different things that coexist at the same time that may seem at odds with one another, but they're still existing as true facts um, depending on, on the moment, if that's clear. Yeah. I mean, I think um, one of the scientific terms that pops into my head around that is, is cognitive dissonance. And, and that's kind of the ability to hold two opposing beliefs um, in your head at the same time. Um, you know, we see that all the time with smokers. Um, and we're seeing it right now with coronavirus, right? So, you know, the smoker has, you know, that understanding that, you know, hey, smoking causes cancer, smoking kills people. But the guy that goes outside and lights up a cigarette right now is also saying that's not going to happen to me. He truly believes that that's not going to happen to him. Right. Uh, um, you know, with coronavirus, you know, we know that going outside uh, and being in public places um, increases our, our risk of exposure. But a lot of people are going out and saying, you know, uh, I'm not going to get it or it's not going to happen to me. Right. Um, you know, maybe they won't. And it doesn't make either of those less true. Um, so, yeah, you're right. I mean, there are a lot of those dualities that exist. And, um, you know, if, if we 
live in that binary space, it becomes very difficult to, uh, to, to understand and have perspective, as you said earlier, on um, other people's differing viewpoints, you know, and that leads to a lot of arguments and, and yeah. confrontations and, and fights and, you know, people not being able to understand that somebody else can have another viewpoint and it doesn't necessarily make one of you wrong. Right. Yeah. Well, you, you can see it in many domains, like you said, even around the, the, the COVID situation, you know, you've got a variety of medical research being thrown around from different angles saying the severity of it. So you have a degrees discussion. Um, and then also politically, right. It turns into either or when there's so many variables that make each circumstance, uh, true and not true at the same time. So speaking of this, this kind of yin and yang, so to speak, where you have multiple contributing factors, but ultimately in decision-making, it kind of is a, a binary thing. So you're, they're both kind of coexist. Does that make sense? Like you've got say five or six different contributing factors to a particular decision, but you have to make a left or right choice at the fork. Um, so at some point when you're dealing with, you know, the development of a person or coaching, um, how do you, how do you put that in there? Is it like temporarily permanent decision and, and you experiment? And- yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, question. And I give you credit. I, I don't think anybody's asked me about this on the podcast. Um, at least in my memory, but, you know, I think, um, I'll, I'll, I'll go to something, a conversation I've had with, you know, I mentioned one of my clients earlier who's is in the bodybuilding space and, you know, in the bodybuilding space, there are two different camps for training. And there are a lot of people who, you know, this is my program. This is what I'm going to do regardless. You know, it says, you know, it's leg day. I got to go in and I have to do these exercises and this is the program. And then there's another camp that, that goes on what they would call instinctive or, or intuitive training. And the, um, the problem is, you know, to be very successful at the instinctive or intuitive training, you have to be emotionally detached from the process and the outcome. Uh, and it's very difficult for the average person to get to that point, especially with a pursuit that, you know, in, in the health and fitness or business space, we have so much tied up in, you know, not only our identity, but I mean, if it's a business, you know, you have your livelihood tied up into that. So it's very difficult to be um, uh, emotionless um, and, and to be rational in those decisions. And so, you know, sure. to your point, like with your question, so, you know, like, uh, you know, you wake up and today is on the training plan, like it's, it's a lift day and you're supposed to go, you know, let's, let's pretend like we're not on quarantine right now and you're supposed to go to the gym and you're supposed to do leg day and you're supposed to, you know, try to squat, you know, a new PR for eight reps but you wake up and, you know, your nervous system is drained and your back is tight and you want to go lift, but you know your body isn't in a place where you should put a bar on your back and try to squat heavy. So, you know, being able to remove the emotion from that decision and actually not training or 
maybe you go for a walk, you, you somehow modify the training so that you're not trying to set a PR. And, you know, the, the, the worst case scenario is you go in and you do what you're supposed to do and you get hurt. And right. now you're set back six weeks or, you know, God forbid you do something to your back and now you've got a lingering thing that you have to fight on and off for the rest of your life. Um, you know, that's part of the, the gray area, again, if you you know, to, to continue our conversation of kind of degrees and being less binary. Um, you know, the, the question is still yes or no. Do you go in and train? Um, or, or yes or no. Do you stick to the program? You know, maybe it's no, you don't stick to the program, but you go in and you do, you know, some light work to, to kind of loosen up your back or, or, you know, you do some movement. And, and that's one of those things where there's, there's definitely uh, an art and a science to this and you know if you're I would say to the person who's kind of in the beginning stages of their journey um, understand that the more you can remove the emotional connection to both the process and the outcome the faster you can get to that point um, you know if you're in if you're in doubt about how to approach that you know talk to your coach your mentor uh, somebody who's been through that before um, you know, because experience is one of the best teachers and, and you know, those individuals might be able to help you uh, through that decision-making matrix. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely seems even my own personal pursuits, you know, it takes a while to your point. If you're just starting out, you're not going to know your body and, and the, the response yet, but talk it out. And I know that's always for years, heck that was even the genesis of starting this podcast is I didn't listen to my body and would crash and burn a little too often. Um, but there's, again, there's so many different dynamic elements to that, whether it's, you know, your life outside that effort, whether it's your business. So what, what's your family dynamic, what you're eating, like what, what's, you know, all the other variables that are influencers to your overall, you know, countenance. Yeah. And that's bringing it full circle to goal and context, right? Like if you're, again, we'll use that um, same example earlier of, you know, if you're trying to compete in the CrossFit games and, you know, maybe you're a, a paid and sponsored athlete and, you know, there's a huge potential upside to you going into the gym that day and pushing it. Um, whereas if you're, if that's not the case, you know, for most people, um, you know, you've got to consider, you know, are you going to be able to show up for your family later that day or later in the week? Or, you know, how is this going to impact your business? Um, you know, if you're a small business owner or you know, your ability to show up and work, um, you know, yeah. so, so bringing back full circle to kind of goal and context, like, you know, all of those things have to be considered and, and bringing all that back to, you know, this, this researcher, Antonio Damasio, you know, he had a patient, this guy's name was Elliot, who, uh, um, had a uh, tumor removed from his prefrontal cortex. And when the tumor was removed, there was some damage done to his brain. And that damage prevented him from being able to weigh all of those little micro decisions that we're throwing out as hypotheticals that impact our ability to, you know, make that, that one decision of, you know, should we go train today? Um, you know, this guy, Elliot, in, and this is how Damasio arrived at the, uh, the conclusion for his research was that, you know, this guy Elliot couldn't even make a decision like where to go eat for lunch because he couldn't assign value to all those little micro decisions that we're bringing up and, and throwing out. So along, along that lines, 
how does one who's starting out or recognizes, hey, I want to improve my decision making, develop that mental strength, that mental fortitude to um, make that better decision when they come up to those life choices, when it comes to, you know, many of the folks listening are probably, you know, the average mom and dad out there working, pursuing fitness goals, but, um, you know, it's for a broader, well lived life. So I've got a couple of tools that we talk about in the book and, um, you know, two of them that that come to mind as you're asking that question. Um, one would be, um, an exercise that, that I call, um, act as if, and then the other one is going to be choice architecture. So we'll run through both of those. Um, and I'll give you a couple of examples. So the act as if is really an exercise in defining your values. And, you know, I, I'm really lucky that I get to, uh, to talk leadership and, and work with, you know, some, some high level companies and, and teams that are focused on high performance. And what I always find interesting in those settings is if I go into those rooms and I ask the people at, at the table or, or, you know, in these meetings and say, you know, look, take out a piece of paper and write down this company or this team's values. And everybody can pull out a paper and maybe they get it, maybe not 100%, but they know like 80 to 90% of whatever those company core values are. Kind of directionally correct. Yeah. And, and then I say, okay, pull out another piece of paper and write down your individual values. What are your values as a person? And everybody just kind of looks around and they're like, well, I've never done that. And so that's my point in, in that exercise is to say, you know, look, you know what these are for the business or, or the company that pays you, um, but you don't know what your values are as a person, as an individual. And so, you know, the exercise becomes, let's define your values. Who are you? What do you stand for? What do you stand against? Um, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to move through the world? How do you want to show up for the people that you care about? And, and those are all just kind of questions that serve as a cue to get you thinking and, and coming up with some answers. And so, you know, we do this in our Better Human workshops. Um, I talk people through it in the book. I can actually send you a link. I've got a video that, that walks people through it as well. Yeah, um, I'll, add, I'll but, include that in the show notes. Okay. Um, and, and so what, what I really want is, you know, if you're listening to this, um, press pause and, and, and try to figure out what those values are for yourself. And the way we do the exercises, you know, I'll have people write out five or 10 words that come to your mind. And so, you know, Scott, I see you taking notes and maybe you're writing down the questions that are cues, or maybe you're writing down words. But as we say those questions that serve as cues, most people have a flood of words that come into their mind. And I want all those words on a piece of paper, um, no filtering, just no editing, just put them all down. And then once you have all those words, you can go back through and pick three, pick three words that you want other people to use when they talk about you, right? How do you want to be remembered? How do you want other people to describe you? And you know, those three words will tell us a lot about what's important to you. Um, and one thing to keep in mind is that, that, you know, we're in a particular season of our lives now and always. And so if you do this exercise again in, in a year or in two years, you may come up with three different words and that's okay. But the point is these values will stay with you far longer than your feelings. 
And so feelings are short-term transient ways of being. The way you feel right now is different than the way you're going to feel in three hours, in three days, and in three weeks. And as we already said, you know, if your feelings drive your decisions, good luck getting to that outcome that you want. Um, but if you act according to your values, then your decisions, your choices, your actions are going to be far more consistent and significantly more aligned with who you want to be and how you want to move through the world. And so that's the first exercise. The second one is choice architecture. Um, and another word for this that scientists use is uh, called the Ulysses Pact. And you know, this has to do with um, uh, the, the, like the, uh, I'm drawing a blank on it, the, the Iliad, all right? Um, yeah. And so Odysseus um, or Ulysses, same character, depending on, you know, which one you read, um, is uh, captaining his ship. He knows that they're about to uh, sail past the sirens that sing a song and lure the ships in. Uh, they go into shallow water and they crash on the rocks. And so knowing that that's coming, he instructs his crew to fill their ears with wax and to tie him to the mast of the ship. And he says, anybody who unties me before we get past a certain point will die by my sword. So he basically immobilizes himself so that he can't steer towards the sirens. And he puts, uh, you know, hearing, uh, he, he, he reduces his crew's ability to hear the, the siren songs and be tempted. Um, so in other words, this, this Ulysses Pact or choice architecture is a mental strategy where we can take what we know about the temptations or the scenarios that we know we're going to face soon, and we can make a pact with ourselves, or we can set something up that puts us in a, uh, puts our future self in a better position to succeed. And I'm gonna give you a couple of seconds to see if you can come up with this, but I already told you one of these that I do. It's part of what I do when I wake up. Oh, you're quizzing me. Um, you oh, you remove the alarm away from arm reach. Exactly. I remembered exactly. So that is an example of choice architecture. At night, I know that in the morning, if I have to get out of bed to turn off my alarm, I'm significantly increasing my odds of waking up and starting my day the way I want to start my day. So, you know, that, that's a really cool, like, that's an example of, you know, a very powerful um, mindset trick. I mean, neuroscientists and, and behavioralists actually call this choice architecture. So, you know, it, it could be as simple as just, you know, doing your meal prep. Um, and then that way, you know, tomorrow your meals are ready. Um, there, there's tons of ways that we can put these into play. But I think those two things um, will get a, a person very, very far along. You know, if you can act according to your values and look for ways that you can set up better default choices, um, you know, throughout your life, th those two things are going to get you miles uh, ahead. No, that's great. Great feedback. I mean, I had two thoughts on, on that when you were speaking, one of them was feelings are kind of like indicator lights on the dashboard. Mm -hmm. It's a warning sign, but it's not an absolute definitive answer. It may be something you need to check and it could be a false alarm. You know, sometimes you get that thing on the dashboard and it turns out it's nothing. Uh, it's a sensor and it's misfiring. So if you relate that to feelings, 
you know, your feelings can sense something, but they may overreact or respond to whatever that catalyst is. You're a hundred percent correct. Uh, and that's actually what their biological purpose is. Um, you know, feelings have survived evolution for a reason and, and we need them. They actually serve, as you said, as, as kind of that alert on the dashboard. You know, they are, um, they're, they're something that directs our attention to a signal within all of the noise. Um, and, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, being able to identify that signal in the noise was what kept us alive. And right. if you now look at the world we live in today, we have significantly more noise and it's significantly harder to identify the signal from the noise. So, you know, we may be, you know, to, to kind of use your uh, analogy is like, it's kind of like you're in a cockpit with this dashboard of, you know, lights and everything's just kind of going off because it's like, I don't know what to pay attention to. Right. Uh, and, and so developing this awareness, this, um, you know, ability to say, okay, I know that this is going off. Why is this going off? Is this something I need to pay attention to? Or, you know, can I move on and, you know, focus on something else or, or whatever? And so, you know, awareness is one of the other major steps uh, in this journey for us. And we, it seems like we've used the word before, before is context. And recognizing the dashboard is not the same as the steering wheel, right? They're two different functional tools. And so the lights may be giving you an indication, but also your, and so that's your feelings, but you're, you're in control of the steering wheel and you're going to choose what to do with that. And so don't let the indicator light drive the plane or the car. I like that. I might have to steal it. <laughs> What is a key takeaway or one or two key takeaways? We touched on a few for somebody starting out. What would be like the first two things to do? Yeah. So I think really start with um, uh, the define your values um, exercise that, that we just talked about. And, you know, I, I got so excited about that one that I forgot to tell you, you know, why I say act as if. And so, you know, to, mm -hmm. to finish out that exercise, you know, when I have people look at those three words, you know, I always ask the question, you know, what is stopping you from being that version of you right now? And inevitably, I always get one of two answers, either nothing or me. And in either case, we all have the ability to act accordingly. You can act as if you already are that version of you right yeah. now and at all times. So you know, that's why it's called act as if. And so, you know, to answer your question of where to get started, I would say the, the define your values exercise. And then, um, you know, at, at the end of that last um, kind of line of, of, of conversation, you know, I mentioned awareness being crucial. Um, awareness affords us choice. And if we can bring in awareness to these things, if we can start kind of working on, you know, if you're a meditator or if you're a yogi, you're familiar with kind of the, um, the objective view, um, or if you're not familiar with that, the, the witness perspective, uh, imagine being in an airplane and you have this 30,000 foot view looking down on yourself and, and you can see, you know, what you're doing and how you're moving through the world. Um, you know, that awareness, if, if we learn to cultivate that in real time, um, it affords us a choice in the moment. Do we want to continue that way or do we want to uh, choose 
according to our values. And so, you know, the first step is knowing what those values are, knowing how we want to move through the world. And then the second step would be bringing an awareness to, you know, everything that we're doing. And, you know, in those moments of awareness, choosing to either continue um, or, or make a change based on, you know, our value set, not our, you know, feelings or um, emotions. Great. Um, so final couple questions to close things out more on a personal front. So what are you reading right now? Oh man, I will send you a picture of this one. You might actually like it. It's called Endure. Um, it's, I'm going to blank. Uh, the guy's name is, uh, if I get this wrong, I, I apologize. I believe his name is Alex Hutchinson. And the subtitle is Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic, or Curious Elasticity of Human Potential, or something like that. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that before. Um, the forward is with written, a gentleman running. He, yep, he's on yeah. a track running, and the yep. forward is written by Malcolm Gladwell. That's what sold me. Oh, on okay. It's like this, this sounds cool. And then I saw forward by Malcolm Gladwell. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll listen. Yeah, I'm all in with that. Great. Um, so what are you listening to right now, music or podcast? Um, music, because I just worked out a little while ago, um, but I have been listening to a few podcasts. Uh, I'm a big hunter and uh, okay. um, been, I've been listening to a few uh, hunting related podcasts. I'm supposed to be going on a black bear hunt uh, the first week of May in Montana, but travel is a little iffy right now so <laughs> you might be that's walking. not looking good yeah <laughs> is your go-to rest and recovery method breath work and the reason that i say that is because we can do that one anywhere at any time we are always breathing and you know I, I love gratitude journals i love cold exposure um i love all of the tools that we can put in our toolbox but they're not as easily accessible um, as breathing. Um, you know, if you think about what makes cold exposure so great, you've got to go to your breath. Right. Um, you know, gratitude journaling. I mean, maybe, um, I'm driving and I can't pull out a notebook and write. Um, you know, so breathing is the one that I think is, is the go-to because you can do it anywhere in any time. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a new one for me. And I, I, um, not that you need my concurrence, but it's, a, since it's a new tool, it's, um, I, I would completely agree with you can really change your state um, uh, regardless in the environment, especially now when we're dealing with some new things and how to process that well, um, mm -hmm. equipping yourself with some breathing techniques is uh, is a great one. Ryan, uh, grateful for the time, man. It was a great conversation, some really good practical information on, you know, how to, you know, own your, your feelings and mindset and uh, grateful for the time. Scott, thank you, man. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode with Ryan Muncy. I hope you got a lot of value out of it. Um, remember to check out his website at ryanmuncy.com, as well as his podcast, The Better Human Project. If you did get value out of this, please, we would appreciate a share, like, and a five-star rating. Remember to check that, whether it's Apple, Podcast, Anchor, or whatever platform you're listening to. Again, grateful for your time. Remember, be rested, be well. Mm -hmm.